If we know anything about Ecclesiastes, it's that saying that there's a time for everything under heaven, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to gather up, a time to let go. Also, if you've ever heard the saying, there's nothing new under the sun, that comes from Ecclesiastes. Maybe you've said, I don't suffer fools. That's a paraphrase of Ecclesiastes. But Sometimes we think, well, Ecclesiastes is like Proverbs. It's little, little bits of wisdom, but it's, it's really so much more. That it has a through thread that speaks to our human yearning. This desire we have as humans to achieve something, to accomplish something, to get something, and to find satisfaction in that. It speaks not only to our human yearning, but how so often that human yearning leaves us disappointed. In the old translations, it it said vanity, that it was all vanity. But most often it's translated a chasing after the wind. It's, It's deep in speaking to our human condition, but tells us that seeking God cures all. We'll just uh, read a couple verses from the second chapter of Ecclesiastes. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve... Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, when I picture chasing after the wind, have you ever dropped a piece of paper in a windy parking lot, right? And you go after it, but as soon as you reach it, the wind takes it even further. Or maybe you think, I'll do the right thing and pick up one of those plastic bags. You know, I'll I'll help the environment. And you go to get it, and then the wind takes it. I don't know how the wind knows when we're right there, but it does. And then it just blows it further. A chasing after the wind. But Ecclesiastes isn't talking about pieces of paper or plastic bags. No, it's, it's talking about our human condition and have how we as humans have this desire to chase after things, to find something that will give us satisfaction, whether working or buying, to to get the next new thing. But we also experience, like the piece of paper in a parking lot, that as soon as we arrive, there's a new destination. People keep moving the goalpost. As soon as we set a goal, when we get there, it just doesn't make us as happy as we thought it would. We get the new iPhone, and then they have a newer iPhone. We uh, get the car of our dreams, and then our neighbor has a bigger truck. We move into the house that we thought would be perfect, and, well, it's not perfect. We think we need to remodel part of it. It's who we are as, as human beings. We're always sort of striving and, and yearning, and, and, and our culture doesn't help us. It's always bombarding us with, get the new thing. Happiness comes in things. Buy this. Get that. We are bombarded with commercials. 
I love commercials, but fortunately for me, my attention span isn't long enough, so I have no idea what they're advertising. Do you ever watch commercials? You like the commercial, but you have, you know, I don't know. so I have to ask Cheryl, well, what are they advertising? And she rolls her eyes and tells me. There was even one that talked about, you know, and when we die, we won't be disappointed in not owning all these things. And I said, what are they advertising? That sounds like my sermon this week. And she said, traveling, Alan, traveling. I'm like, oh, okay. But our, our, our society and culture is bombarding us with this message that if you just get the next new thing, you will have happiness, that you'll have arrived. But Ecclesiastes reminds us that it's just chasing after the wind. When I was uh, young and naive, I, uh, the church I served in Pittsburgh was connected to a, a care facility for older people. We called them nursing homes back then. And um, I, I was struck by this Ecclesiastes, studying this in seminary, and this image of chasing after the wind. And I, I was young, and I wondered, am, you know, my whole life's before me. Am I chasing after the right things or the wrong things? And I, boy, I said, boy, that's a great message. So I said, I'm going to take that to the, to the care home and, you know, tell that message there. And it, it sounded like a really good idea till I got there and I saw all these old faces and the passage talking about that life is meaningless, that it's a chasing after the wind. And I'm like, oh boy. It reminded me of a few years ago, a member of our church was taking a sermon to uh, Elmcroft, as it was called then, uh, and they wanted me to look at it and, and see if it was okay. And the, the sermon was on transitions. And I said, you know, I don't know if that's the message for people in a care home. They only have one transition, transition left, you know. But you know what? It was, it was good for them because their life was in transition, that they were living not in their home that they had lived for so many years, but had transitioned here, and everything seemed in transition, and the message, the message rang true to them. And it was much the same experience as I talked about the, the pointlessness and meaninglessness of life to those older people. And I was wondering, how will I live my life? Will I chase after the right things or the wrong things? But they already had that wisdom because they had lived life. They had chased after things that did not bring them happiness, and they knew what was important. And they were okay to hear that, because they had the wisdom of the ages, not to chase after that which is meaningless, but to focus on that which is lasting, that which brings joy. So as we have been on the walk through Lent, we've talked about uh, praying and worshiping together. We've talked about uh, listening to God, and we talked last week about simple acts of kindness. And this week we talk about giving and being generous. So we're going to walk through three little processes that would help us to turn our life into a generous life. If, if you really want to be happy and seeking joy, this is the way, not the way the culture tells you, but to be generous. So it starts with first being thankful for what you have. Think of yourself. Are you someone that's content? Are you someone that's filled with discontent? Are you someone that's really happy with what you have? 
Or you're someone that always sees out of the corner of your eye something better. Is the grass green or white as it is this morning here? Or is it greener over there? We're all wired differently. And sometimes we're in different places. Sometimes we are thankful for what we have. And then we get caught up in chasing uh, something new. But can we be thankful for what we have? Can we make a list this week of those things that we have that we are thankful for? We have a lot, right? Anybody have a lot of stuff at home? Yeah. We, we were, our, this past summer, both of our daughters moved and we were helping our oldest daughter and her husband pack. And Cheryl said it, I didn't say it. We were looking around and Cheryl said, have you guys ever seen something and thought, I don't need that? Because they seem to have bought everything. We do, as humans, collect a lot of stuff. Can we be thankful for what we have? Or do we have some stuff that maybe we don't really need? You know, I'm an old guy, so I have an old car. You know, so all us old guys have old cars or old trucks. I don't know why. Maybe we're trying to relive our, our younger days or something. And, and it's not a Corvette or a Ferrari. It's a Fiat. So not, not only am I old, but I'm also stupid. But, 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 I, but, but I like it. But, but I like it. And it's, it's, it's uh, an old car is like a boat. It's a hole into which you pour money. And, and we try to convince ourselves and everybody else it's an investment. It's an investment. And I always say, you know, someday I'll be able to sell it for half of what I put into it. And twice what Cheryl thinks I put into it. You know, we have these, these things that we focus a lot of time and money and energy on. But are we satisfied? Are we happy? Are we thankful? Can we simply be thankful for what we have today? We have a lot. Can you make a list this week of the things you have that you are thankful so that's the first step. If we can uh, be thankful for what we have now, today, can we then live our life purposefully? Can we live our life towards those things that bring us joy? Because really, that's what we want in life, isn't it? Joy to be happy, to be satisfied. That's, that's what the culture is selling. But all those things that the culture sells to us will leave us empty, leave us chasing the wind. So what is it that gives you joy in life? Can you picture? It may not be things. It may be people, right? Kids or grandkids. They're also like those old cars. They're holes into which you pour money. But, but joy bubbles up out of that person, doesn't it? What is it in life that gives you joy? Why wouldn't you be focusing on that? Because that will return joy to you, not in emptiness, not meaninglessness, not chasing the wind, but joy. Why wouldn't we focus on life, on what's eternal? People are eternal. If we believe that Jesus Christ came to offer us eternal life, then we last forever. So why wouldn't we focus on people? They're eternal. Why wouldn't we focus on the church, the body of Christ? Because it is eternal. It will be there on the last day. 
Why wouldn't we focus on that? Those things in life that give us joy. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will last forever and ever. Can we reorient our life on those things, live purposely towards those things that give us joy? Can we be thankful for what we have and then lean into the things in life, focus on the things that give us joy, live purposefully, and then be generous? Maybe you're wired to to be generous. Maybe you're wired not to be generous. We're all different. We all grew up. We all experienced life differently. Maybe you experienced the scarcity once and you're, you're wired to hold on. We, we all know that, that the previous generation that lived through the Great Depression and they saved everything. They held on to everything because one time in their life they didn't have it. Way back, uh, I don't know, 30 years ago or so, my, my sister bought a new house and, and she asked me to come over to help. She wanted to have a string from the attic like light down the step so you could pull the string and it turned the light on. Anybody old enough to have done something like that, right? Then we realized we didn't have string. She didn't have string. I didn't have string. We weren't the generation that saved string. Where were we going to get string? I have a ball of string at home, but I had to buy it. I mean, the bakery box, I mean, it's not like I don't buy enough baked goods, but they don't come with string anymore. Right? So my string's just white. It's not, it's not spiral red and white or red and green. We're not the generation that saved string. Are you wired to be generous? Or are you wired to, to hold on to things? And it, and it doesn't really matter which way you're wired. That's the beauty of generosity. If you're wired to be generous, you could be more generous. If you're wired to, you know, just hold things a little close to the vest, you can you can stretch yourself a little bit. The girls have a saying at our house, don't tell dad you like something, he'll buy you 27 of them. You know, I said 10 years ago I liked something and dad's still buying me that, but people change, they move on. Sometimes being generous is, is, a, is a cultural thing. When I was even younger than I was when I spoke at that, that care facility, I worked a summer in San Antonio, Texas with, with a mission project. And we had to be trained that when we went into the homes of Hispanic people, not to say, oh, I like that. Oh, that's, that's so nice. Because if we said we liked that, they had to give it to us, even though they had so little and we had so much. And it's so hard, you know, when you go into a house, we went into homes where we were there to fix a hole in the roof because it was raining in, or we were there to put some indoor plumbing inside. When you go into a house like that and you have so much, you, you want to say, oh, this is nice, it's so nice, but we couldn't because they had to give it to you. That's the way they were brought up. That's the way they were wired. Sometimes culturally, they're, they're bent towards generosity, other cultures are, are made to be hospitable. Hospitality is important. When I was uh, young and studied in Israel as, as, a, as a student for three weeks, I, well, you got a picture. I had darker hair, was a little longer, darker and fuller beard. But I must have looked like the people of Israel because Friday everybody would come to me. Do you have somewhere to go for Sabbath? Do you have somewhere to go? Can you come to our house for Sabbath? And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that. I'm okay. I'm okay. But they, they have to offer hospitality. 
They just have to. It's who they are. Have you ever been to someone's house that you have to eat there if you visit? Anybody have a grandmother or something like You know, at Cheryl's grandmother's house, if you visit, you, you would make the calendar. She would write your name on the calendar. But if you didn't eat, you didn't make the calendar. Because <laughs> it didn't matter that you drove three hours. The visit didn't count if you didn't eat there. Years ago, I worked in the theater, and a friend of mine, we would, we would close a show and pack everything up, and he lived with his mother in East Carnegie, so we'd be hauling lights or a ladder into his mother's house. This is like 2, 3 in the morning. It didn't matter what time it was. If we came in, she had to wake up, come down the steps, and head to the kitchen, and we had to eat. And I'm like, it's 3 in the morning. I just want to go home and go to bed. Nope, nope, just sit down. It's easier. You have to eat. She, she had to feed us. And it couldn't even be a cold sandwich. It had, there had to be something warm. It had to be soup. With Even though we're like sweating and we're, it's three in the morning, she had to offer that hospitality. And then maybe you've heard me tell this story before. We'd sit down at the table and Anna would sit down and she said, oh, I pray every night to St. Jude for you and my Jimmy. And I'm being like, Anna, I'm Protestant. I don't understand St. Jude. St. Jude is the patron saint of hopeless causes and things despaired. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm in seminary. I'm I'm trying. I'm trying to make something. I mean, James is in theater. I don't know about him, but come on. Some people... And, and maybe we've lost some of that from a generation ago that we just have to offer hospitality. They're just generous. They have to be generous. They can't be anything else. So wherever you are, wait a minute. Let me think of this. Do you have a to-do list at home? Anybody have a to-do list? Like you made it up or someone gave it to you? We're people of to-do lists, aren't we? What if we forgot about the to-do list and made a to-be list? What do you want to be? Who do you want to be? You know, when we look at the walk, if you've read the book or been in a small group studying this, it can look on the surface like it's a series of to-do lists. Five prayers a day. Five verses a day. Five acts of kindness a week. But to see it as a to-do list is to miss the point. Because the point is the doing should make us be people of prayer. Should make us be people that listen for God as we live our life. Should make us be kind. And can it make us be generous? So your homework is to make a list of those things you're thankful for. Can you be thankful for what you have? And then to think of the things that bring you joy in life and lean heavily and invest in them. And then be generous. Amen.